Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of Luigi Prestonenzi. Now, growing up as a student, as a teenager, he felt like he just didn't fit in. It's just something telling him that he just didn't fit the mold. Now, I know a lot of you can resonate with that. And by chance, purely by accident, he ended up stumbling into door-to-door sales immediately after school. After feeling like, you know what? This is cool, but I want to take the leap into inside sales. Luigi faced rejection after rejection for his dream job as a sales rep and was told once again that he didn't fit the mold. Somebody once told him, you know, good at sales, Luigi. Please don't apply again. He went away, put his head down. Fast forward to a few years later, and Luigi's 19 years old and diagnosed with cancer. After feeling super frustrated, crushed, and wondering, why me? He ended up having a moment where he realized that actually this was going to be his motivation to turn everything around. He came out of it a cancer survivor and began working as a sales rep for a training company and ended up signing a $3.5 million contract with the same individual and the same company that said many years ago, you're no good at sales, Luigi. Please don't apply again. But I tell you what, I guess that dude was wrong, right? Over time, Luigi had an epiphany. He realized that selling is less about selling and it's more about helping a specific person achieve a really specific and better outcome. But more importantly, ladies and gents, Luigi is a father to two children, a husband, and running enthusiast, whilst his sales training firm, Sales IQ, helps teams and reps scale themselves and their organizations so they can do two things, sell better and live better. And today, ladies and gents, I have pinned him down to talk about something that I know he's super passionate about. And it's all about how to communicate your prospects' million-dollar problem with impact. Dude, welcome to the show. What's good? I mean, that's a pretty cool intro, man. I don't think I've ever had that type of intro in my whole life, man. So thank you very much for making me feel fantastic and rolling out the red carpet to your podcast. Well, bro, you've got a good story, man. Every time we hang out, we end up probably speaking for way longer than expected. So dude, you've got a massively interesting story. And you know what's funny? Even though I've known you for probably about a year now, when I was researching all this different stuff about your history and past, I had no idea that you went through some of the things that you did. Yeah, I think back when it was happening, you kind of don't realize the positive impact that it would have on me, right? So I think when you're in it, when you're getting treatment for cancer, it's not the nicest feeling. But this was 20 years ago, so I was pretty sick. And there was times where I was sort of saying life's not fair why me, you know, those sort of negative type of thoughts. But I tell you what, right, if I look back at my career so far, because I've still got a long way to go in my career, I can actually say that was a career-defining moment for me. Not just a career-defining moment, like a life-defining moment. If I look at the other things that I've been able to achieve, it spurred me to get healthy, it spurred me to run marathons, travel, like just live a different aspect of life and approach life with a level of intensity, yeah? 
So I owe that all, not just to, to that cancer interaction. There's a few other things, but that was big, big wake up call about life is not a rehearsal, man. You get, you get, you get one shot and um, things will happen, but can't let what happen or control you so much more in that circle of control. And the circle gets bigger and bigger if you get into that circle and actually you can control, right? Dude, speaking of focusing on what you can control, one of the thoughts I reckon everybody has is saying, you know what, when I become successful, I'm going to go to that person that doubted me and be like, ha, look at me. You know what I'm saying? But you actually were able to sell a three and a half million dollar contract to the person that doubted you in the first place. I mean, talk about revenge, right? So my question to you is, is did it actually feel as good as it sounds in the way I'm saying it, when you actually sold that contract to the dude who said, Luigi, you're no good at sales. Well, if I look back at it, and I can remember it like yesterday, right? Because there was something about that whole opportunity and the way it came about. And I'll tell you, like just a, a one-minute story on this, right? Because this this was a huge organization. You know, they were, they were over a billion-dollar organization where I, when I was working there, and they had multiple sites. Um, and I was working at one of their kind, of like let's call it a regional site. But then throughout the time when I was getting this contract across the table and getting it to a point of ink, I was doing it at the headquarters, right? Which is probably 30 minutes away. And then we were meant to have a meeting at HQ and I got a notification to say, hey, meeting's been changed to this other location in Tullamarine near, near, near the airport here in Melbourne. And I'm like all right, that's really interesting. I've been there for, for a few years since I was told, you know, you're not good enough to sell, blah, blah, blah. And so put my nice boss suit on, man. I felt good, you know, I went for a nice run that morning. I was feeling good, man. Like I felt good. I was meeting the exec. It was all implementation. And so I'm upstairs. I bypassed pretty much everybody that I used to work with and all the people that were in the area. And we're in the exec room, man. And this is no word of a lie. Like I can't, it sounds... It sounds too funny to be true, but we're sitting there in the meeting and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. It's like a, a test, you know, and everybody had to then go out to the car park. And so we went out there and I'm standing with the executives of this business, right? On the other side of the car park, it's all my ex-colleagues, the person that rejected me from that job, right? And so they're seeing me stand next to the execs and they're all asking a question. And so you know, as we do, they came over and said, hello, you know, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm just working on a project with, you know, such and such. That was kind of a fantastic moment where I was sitting there going, you know what? It's not revenge. Being told you can't sell was the best motivator because I had nothing else to fall back on. Man. I had no, no schooling. All I could do was sell. So being told you can't sell, try something else, go back to uni, get some skills under your belt is kind of, yeah, kicking the guts. But it was the best thing to ever happen to me, man, because it completely motivated me to get out there and take action. And I did. It changed my career. Like, I'm so grateful for that moment because if that didn't happen, my life could have gone down a whole different direction, right? And just to put a bow on top of that story, that three and a half mil contract, I then sold to their parent company, just under $20 million contract, man. That's just to tie the whole bow in that opportunity, man. That was my, you know, career-defining sale that I made that I learned so much from. This book here, man, this is the one book, The Strategic Selling Book by Miller Hyman was the book that I used to help me engineer these sales. 
I'm using the situational appraisal summary and it helped me really quantify that million dollar impact, right? What was the actual problem that company was looking to solve and what was the impact of that problem? And once we had alignment, the contract was really simple to get across the line. There it is. Well, dude, I tell you what, that's a beautiful segue, but I want to put it back for a sec because you know, it's funny. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've been triggered by somebody or I've been upset with somebody for whatever they've said. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to show you. And the <laughs> ego wants you to go towards this goal. And once you achieve it, you're like, the drive to get there is based on ego versus mm. a metric, which is actually driven from a place of your true authentic self. And it's funny because you can now say, well, if I didn't meet this individual who did say this, then I wouldn't be where I am now. And the, the beautiful thing is, is like, he was actually a gift for you, man. Like he was yeah. actually a gift. So amazing, amazing way to think about it, bro. And I'll tell you what, before we get into it, I said in my intro that you're a father, you're an entrepreneur, you have six podcasts we were talking about before uh, in the green room, let's call it. Man, you do so much and you still look about 21. That's I, I always tell you, I, I need to know what moisturizer you're using, bro. But on a level, what is one thing that you do to really manage all of those things and really protect your energy? Because every time I speak to you, your energy is always high and magnetic. That's been a challenge, man. And Brandon, there's a gentleman called Brandon Flati. If you haven't engaged with him already, you need to engage with him on, on LinkedIn because he, he's awesome. Man. And he talks about burnout, mental, you know, mental health when it comes to sales. And energy is one thing that I think I have like peaks and troughs. And as you said, you know, I've got a lot of, th sometimes I'll probably take on too many things. I've learned the hard way. I've burnt out a couple of times throughout my career. There's nothing enjoyable about burning out, you know, getting to that point of exhaustion, till he's struggling to just complete the most basic of tasks. What I'm doing now, I'm making a real focused effort in making sure that I am breaking out my day and making sure that I, I add my health and wellness the training every day or at least five, six days a week. It was something that I was really disciplined for many years. And then through COVID, I allowed COVID to kind of give me an excuse not to be consistent. So I'm making sure that I'm maintaining that level of consistency when it comes to training. I'm trying to read more. I know I need to spend less time on my phone, for example, at night, because that, if you're not switching off, then you're going to bed thinking and that's not good, right? But I'm sleeping more now. So that's what's giving me my energy. So you know, people talk about balance and there's all these tactics. For me, I'm one that says that I have to be going at a certain pace. I have to be doing certain things because I've got certain goals and, and things that I, and it's not about goals for anyone. It's about things for me, right? Um, I'm, I don't mm -hmm. have anything to anybody. I'm, I've got stuff to prove to me, right? So when it comes to energy, what I'm trying to do is when I realize that I'm getting a bit depleted, I need to just back off a bit and I'm doing it, right? So I'll just taper off, back it off a bit. And it's fantastic, man. There's no great, you know, sit there two o'clock, like you work late hours or early hours. I start at some mornings, four o'clock in the morning give yourself the luxury and to say, you know what, I'm going to have a nap. It's, it's, it's midday. I'm just going to have an hour. <laughs> it's two o'clock. I'm just going to have a bit of a break and get back on it. Right. Just to answer your question in a long kind of, um, how do I maintain that certain energy and focus where I need it to be? I've just got to make sure I'm allowing myself the time to just take it easy when I need to take it easy. 
if I want to play a bit of Xbox, I'll stop and go play a bit of Xbox. Today was awesome. My son was playing soccer, took the whole morning off pretty much until two o'clock, got home at three and worked until now. I'm doing what I can to fit everything in to make sure that I'm achieving everything that I need to in all aspects of my life, man. Man, for those of you that are listening intently, you'll hear that Luigi said he's doing the goals for himself and going back to what we were speaking about earlier it's funny when i was younger anyway a lot of the goals were maybe extrinsic to see how i looked and felt to other people and it was all about perception and i think over time i don't know if it's age or just experience (laughs) a bit more experience but i'm like man you gotta do it for you so i appreciate you acknowledging that brother but man let's get into it let's get into it okay so today's episode is as we said at the top of the show, all about how to communicate that million dollar problem to your prospect with impact. So my first question is, is how the hell do you even uncover the million dollar problem of your prospect? Because a lot of the time, what I've experienced and what I see is we can think something is a problem for a prospect, but it may not be the thing which is actually creating that, what we'll call bleeding neck syndrome. So How do you personally uncover that million-dollar problem? You know, I think with anything, with any opportunity that you're talking to or anyone that you're talking to, and and this is something that I've I've really, really tried to, I'd say master because I'm still learning it every every single day, right? But when you're first starting a conversation with a prospect or or a new account, and this is the basics of one-on-one, right? Talk about everything about what we do. If we can start to talk with a prospect about a particular point of view, because people don't buy what we do by the outcome we help them achieve, right? That's the reality. In B2B sales, consumer sales are a little bit different, but B2B sales is really simple. They're not buying to stay where they are today. They're buying to move a step forward for tomorrow, right? They're looking to make some form of change. And usually in order to make that change, they don't necessarily know what's required to make that change. That's why uh, CEB Gartner revealed over 60% of B2B engagements end in no decision, right? So it's massive. Your biggest competitor is not another company. It's no decision. It's maintaining the status quo. And that's because they might have arrived at a point where they're just not trusting in the strategy it's going to take them from A to B, right? So the first thing that we need to do is help them see that there is change happening. This is what's happening. And what that change means is potentially they're they're not on that journey yet. And if that company is not on that journey yet, that's the perfect place to then start talking about what does that journey need to look like for them. And once you can start having that conversation with them and start talking about that future state, and understanding where they're currently at, then you're starting to identify a gap. And absolutely, there's a problem. But again, they're not just buying to solve that problem, but they're buying to move forward. There's an improved result they're trying to achieve. And this is where we need to, as a sales, as a profession, really flip our thinking. And even though, and we see this all the time, right? You talk to someone, They'll start telling you a few problems and you're, because you talk about the same problem with multiple companies, you automatically, like a doctor, you're like, yeah, I know what the problem is. You see patterns, yeah? And you're like, I can diagnose that problem immediately. But the problem when we do that as sellers, when we, when we are the experts and we can diagnose that problem, we're not helping the, the prospect or the client arrive at that point of, aha, uh-huh, 
Yeah. And that's the biggest opportunity that we have as sellers. Our job is not to tell them what they need to do. Our job is to help them identify the unrecognized need within the opportunity, within their business. Help them learn something. Help them have that aha moment, right? And then once they have that aha moment, what happens is the trust, there's a lot of trust there. Relationship tension drops. There's an element of trust and they're happy to share more information. And as they're sharing that information, what happens is we start to quantify the full impact of that problem on their business. And now we have something to play with, right? So I know I've given you kind of, that was like a two or three minute response, but I'm trying to give you that kind of overarching view that it's not just about the questions that we ask, it's about the entire holistic process. They're moving to tomorrow. They're currently here. And if we can help them really see what that tomorrow looks like and where they are and how we can help them get there, then all of a sudden we've got a really deep and meaningful relationship that we can work on and actually help them move to that new state. So say if you've understood through deep discovery, you're like, okay, let me really be present and I'm going to ask this individual, really figure out where they're at now, where they want to be and what the gap is. So they've spoken about five different things, let's say, which they're struggling with, like five different issues. You then uncovered, ah, no, this is the problem which is creating these symptoms. You've got that now under lock. You now know what the million dollar problem is. But you then said that you need to help them come to that moment of epiphany, that aha moment. Strategically and tactically, what can somebody do to help their prospects arrive to that outcome without spoon feeding it you know and it's not about leading them right but again this is where and you you talk about this a lot this is storytelling and it's not just story but but when you talk about what other companies are doing to achieve an improved result it helps them recognize well if they're doing it and we're not doing it then there's an opportunity for us to do something differently right look and when you're selling multi-million dollar contracts there's a whole variety of issues there. There's a whole variety of, of, of challenges when you've got multiple stakeholders in the buying in the buying journey. You're not just selling to one person anymore. You're selling into a committee. That's with anything. That's with even 100 grand, 50 grand, 500 grand deals. You're selling to a committee of people. And you have to also get that committee of people aligned that this is the problem they want to solve in the first place, right? That's an entirely different podcast that we could go down the path of, right? And a, a different conversation. But going back to your your original question around like strategically is there has to be an element of teaching. There has to be an element that the customer or the prospect needs to come to a realization that they have a gap. And also they have an expertise gap. They've got to come to that as well because we as the sales professional, we're the experts at what we sell. They're not the client and the, or the prospect's not the expert at what we do. They're the expert at what they do. We've got to recognize that, yeah? We're the experts at helping people fix X problem and helping them achieve X impact, right? That's the position that we need to take. And we also need to remember that we cannot be seen as the salesperson. And even though I'm I'm proud to be a sales professional, we want them to look at us as an advisor, a real trusted advisor. I know that word gets thrown thrown around a lot, but Think about this. Think about your accountant. When your accountant tells you stuff, you listen. I know I do. When my accountant says, you've got to do this, you do it. When I go to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to do this, I do it, man. (laughs) They're the professionals. They're the ones that have done the degrees. They're the ones that have spent the time 
to master their craft? Who am I to question their authority? We got to recognize the fact that we have a level of expertise that our clients, our prospects don't. We have to lead that process. And if we're not leading that process and we're not educating them and we're not teaching them things through that process, then we're not creating any value. And therefore, we're just a commodity. We're not actually differentiating ourselves in the process to other salespeople that could be there talking about the same thing that we're talking about. So are you saying that if a prospect doesn't actually have self-awareness yet around their problem, and maybe they secretly don't even believe it exists, there's a lot of hubris, let's say, um, hubris. So are you saying that one of the best ways to help them come to that realization is by educating them through story and positioning yourself as a trusted advisor? Yeah, absolutely. Because remember, if, if they don't come to that point of aha, then why will they change? If they don't recognize the need for change, they're not going to change. And we aren't selling, like I said, we're selling change. They've got to go. If we're selling, like if you're selling a software package, if you're selling a tech solution that completely changes the way they do X and saves them all this time, you're asking them to change. You're asking them to change Stop doing this process and do it this way. Yes, the benefits are massive. You save time, you save this and that and all these benefits and outcomes. But they've got to change, yeah? They've got to change the way they operate that particular process to do it this way. If they're not committed to change, they aren't going to make the change. And we've got to, that's one of the commitments of, of the process. We've got to get them to a point where or we, we've got to help them arrive at that point where they're going, you know what, I am committed to change. Because if they're not committed to change, they won't commit to the budget, right? That's the reality, yeah? And so we have to help them see that the change and the pain to make that change is far more significant. It's far more than the pain of saying, right? And again, that's why the teaching and education piece in the sales process is so crucial, right? The other thing we have to remember, most of the time, Our prospects and clients don't buy what we sell every day, especially if we're selling something of significance. Yeah. We might sell what we sell three, four times a day, but they're buying it once every two years. I spoke to a client the other day, once every five years, it comes up for renewal. So, how do they know how to buy what we sell, man? (laughs) Yeah. They need guidance through the process. It's funny you say this. So, um, I was training this, this team the other day, and I said, listen, if I had, the best product in the world, period, can deliver transformational results. Do you think if I was in front of my ideal clients, everybody would purchase? And they said, yeah, of course, man, of course, of course. And then I said, well, imagine if you had a smoker, if you've got a smoker and they've been smoking for 30 years and you've got a solution to help them stop smoking, even though they want to do it, right? Even though they want to do it, do you think that they're going to purchase it. Well, the truth is you need to shift their perspective first. They may purchase it. Are they going to get results? Well, you need to actually challenge their belief system. So it's really interesting that you say it's all about helping them understand that they're in the game of change and you're in the game of helping them facilitate that change, which is dope, man. I love that. So tell me this. Okay, so let's go through a little sequence. Now you've figured out here, hey, here are the symptoms. Now we've figured out the million dollar problem. Let's assume then the client says, you know what, Luigi, I don't know, man. I don't really think I've got that problem. You've educated them. You've positioned yourself uh, as a trusted advisor, cemented that doctor-patient relationship. 
then what do you do? So do you go straight into presenting your solution? No. What's the point from them acknowledging the problem exists to you to presenting your solution? What, what's done in between there? What's done in between is we've got to make sure that we've got the right people around the table discussing the problem. Just because the problem might be the number one priority for one person, it doesn't mean it's the same priority for other people in that committee. Because as I said earlier, we're not selling to one person anymore. There's multiple buying process. Yeah. And again, just because the problem might be significant for somebody in operations, somebody in sales is like, this is not my problem. Right. And the other thing is most of the time what we sell, this is why I don't like the qualification processes like BANT, you know, budget authority need timing. Because most of the things of transformation that you talk about when you're selling something of significant significance, often it's an unbudgeted investment that they make. Now, when we go to get that investment, when we're going up to the executive committee to say, hey, we want to make this purchase, here's the business case. Somebody's presenting a business case, right? This is what we need. This is why we need it. This is, this is the point of view. This is why we need it. This is the improved results. These are the risks and all that stuff that happens on a business case. And this is the overall budget. That's somebody else's opportunity to go, you know what? That's money that I can grab <laughs> because I've got a goal. Because remember, each person, they've got their own motivations. Sales, marketing, operations, product, right? They're all got their own goals. Yes, there might be one overarching goal, but each key leader still has an outcome they're trying to achieve in their role, right? So when that money comes up and they're debating it, they're, potentially it's a conflict. Somebody's going, I want that cash. So I'm not going to be give the go-ahead for that because I want to take that, right? <laughs> this is what we need to be thinking about. And this is why we also need to be thinking about making sure that when we are in an organization and we have got a, an investment of significance, we need to make sure that the buying committee is aligned to the problem and it's aligned to each person's goals and motivations. And once we've got alignment, once we've got consensus that this is a problem they want to solve, then we can start to talk about what solution or what does that future state look like that's going to help them solve that problem, yeah? And what's the pathway to get there? What's that journey to get there? That's, that's what you offer, Okay. And the problem is that this is what I said earlier as well, the 60% that lead to no decision. If we don't go through process, we might have process, man. We might deliver everything exceptional. The sales conversation is fantastic. We do a great discovery. We circulate the discovery notes. You know, you get positive response. You send the proposal, bang, knock back, <laughs> right? So we've got to recognize that, that there are always risks associated with a deal. And if we rush to proposal too early, which is what we often see, we sometimes ignore those associated risks. We don't engage with the right people. We haven't got problem alignment. And then someone in that table says, you know what, out of our top three priorities for the next six months, this is not in our top three priorities. We can't allocate those resources. And I interviewed a CFO um, for one of my clients in Germany, a very, very large um, organization. And we were building out their personas. And this was an awesome interview, actually. And he said to me, he said to his whole group, actually, because it was his sales team, yeah? And he said, when a business case gets brought into the investment committee to make a decision around, he has a selection criteria that it needs to meet. And when he asks questions of the person bringing the business case, if they can't ask, answer certain questions, 
his exact words were, I will kill the deal. For me, it was another aha moment. But for the people on the call, his own salespeople, it was a massive aha moment. Because often you don't see the CFO, often get to meet that person. But that person's asking questions. And if we haven't tried to understand what those questions that they ask, they become objections. And if our key stakeholder then can't answer those questions, they leave with their tail between their legs, right? And then sometimes because I don't want to give you the bad news. We've all been ghosted before, man, right? So this is the strategy component that sits behind the whole sales process. And this is what I love about selling, Ravi, because no matter how good you get, it's always evolving, man. There's always different pieces of the puzzle that are getting sort of inserted into that whole process and buying journey. And it's always changing, man. So that is a huge aha moment that, hold on, hold on. If the internal champion, key influencer, can't answer specific questions, the deal is done, which begs the question then, let's move from communicating the million-dollar problem to communicating the million-dollar solution. Say if you've got a analytically-minded CFO in front of you, and then let's, who's the decision maker, the one who's signing off? And then let's say you've got the head of enablement, the VP of enablement, who is the key influencer. I was going to say after the call or during the proposal stage, but yeah, once you finish that discovery call, how do you communicate the solution to each of those people? So if we execute the process in a way that says, okay, our champion, he has a vested interest, right? He wants this to happen because there's a particular outcome he or she's trying to achieve. Remember I said before, we need to move away. We need to move into that trusted advisor seat. When we know that's really important, we're side by side. We're not across the table anymore. We're actually working on that business case together. And we're asking key questions before we go to present it to the other people. So during that buying process, we should say, well, who are the other people that need to be involved in this, right? We've got to find that. If we say, well, at some point, the COO or the CFO might be involved. And if we can't get them to the table, right? Say we can't. And often you can't. Sometimes you can, but sometimes you can't. We've got to be asking some questions going, right, what do you think their questions will be? What do you think their outcomes will be? What part of this business case do we need to make sure addresses that person's needs? And if we don't do that, and then we go to present that, and it's not addressing the other person's needs, then there's going to be resistance. Yeah? That's where resistance will occur. Before we present that, we need to be asking our champion or whoever we're working with, the people involved, let's map out the different needs of the people involved. And how do we make sure that when we put the solution together, it's aligning, engaging, and meeting each person's needs? Then if our proposal doesn't address that, because remember, when we do submit that proposal for review, if the first two pages doesn't talk to the different people around the room, there's a lot of risk associated, right? So that's my advice. Before presenting, let's seek understanding of what their needs are. And let's make sure our proposal or our solution, whichever way we're going to present it, addresses the different people's needs that will be assessing the deal. So from a tactical standpoint on understanding the needs, is it as simple as asking the question, you know, before we move ahead, what would you say are the specific needs and desires, the wants of X? Is it as simple as asking a question like that or is there something deeper? Even like saying like, you know, base the people that are going to be looking at this, what concerns do you have that they might raise or what questions might they raise 
we prevent this from moving forward? Like we've got to ask them, like, I love the concern question or what risks do you see will come up when this gets presented to the team? So what questions? So we've got to get them kind of, and again, because we don't want to get in a position where our champion becomes a blocker either, where they don't want us to engage with other people. And that could lead to another conversation, which is they say, well, look, I don't 100% know, then that's a big red flag, yeah? And that's our cue to say, okay, does it make sense for us to maybe have a meeting with this group of people and get a, get a sense of what is important to them before we move to that point of, of you know, solution so we can make sure the scope is really is aligned? So again, it's just strategically thinking about what are the steps that need to happen in their business and where could the risk come about in the process that could stop this from moving forward? Because ultimately, if we have done the right level of discovery, we've identified that this problem they're seeking to solve is a game changer, right? If we solve this problem, it could mean X more performance results. They could hire more people. They could go into new markets. Like There's so many benefits, right? We're helping them achieve a better outcome. If we've identified that, then it's our responsibility to help them make it happen. Yeah. We need to be working with them in breaking down those internal barriers. We're not selling to, to them no more. We're working with them. We're inside that business, right? We're helping our key influencer navigate his own buying challenges within his organization, yeah? The mindset of a sales professional is very different to the mindset of, of a salesperson that's just get the commission check and leave, right? They're two different mindsets. Dude, man, there's so much gold in what you're saying. And <laughs> I suppose I want to take it to something that you said about getting stuck with not moving forward with the solution. And the penultimate question I have for you here, dude, is how can a sales professional, as you said, sales professional, <laughs> right, ethically paint a vivid picture about what life would look like if they didn't move forward with not necessarily your solution, but a solution? So how does one paint that picture in a way that's ethical and trust building versus like just breaking down, you know, building the barriers back up actually? But that's the cost of inaction. So think about it. If you've done the work in helping them define, well, this is what the problem is and this is what it's costing us. Once they see it, it's very hard to unsee it, yeah? So if they've seen it, they've identified it and they've said, yes, actually, this is something we need to make a change because the way we're operating this process in, in 2022, we, we can't be moving forward like this because it's costing us X amount of dollars every day. The question therefore is, is are you okay with this continuing to happen? Like now that you've you've identified that this is a key problem, like you bring that back into the conversation. Yeah. It's like when you see a crack in the wall, man, for the first time. You didn't know it was there before. And then once you see it, every time you walk past it, you see it, right? <laughs> and you're yeah, like, yeah, dude, you about that crack. If the crack yeah. keeps getting bigger and bigger, then you're like, Shit, I gotta call a builder, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm so bad with that though. Like around the house, I'll see a crack and I'll be like, I'm gonna wait till it gets so bad. And then it's just at that point until I have to solve it. And that's human behavior. We all think the same, right? Nah. But, but you know, and I often tell the story. I remember I was doing Chicago Marathon in 2013. I was running the best time of my life, right? Having a ball. And then at the 36K mark, so six Ks to go, 
I looked down at my shoe and there was blood in my shoe. And that's when I realized I had lost a toenail or two, right? I don't know when I'd lost it. I could have lost it 10 pages before that moment. For the next six Ks, all I could think about, man, was my fucking foot, right? And it started throbbing. And you, know, when it, you could feel the throb. And the next six Ks, I got to the finish line and I was so relieved, man, because my foot was hurting me, right? That's the same when we're working with these opportunities. When we've really worked with them to identify the problem and the pain and what it's costing them if they don't move forward, it's very hard to unsee it, right? And when that gets circulated, organization says, that's okay. We can manage losing that much money because to, in order to change, we're going to have to go through all this other pain, yeah? It's like saying, Salesforce ain't working, but I can't change it because I've got seven other tech stacks, technology tools built into it. So it's not just about changing one now, everything else is going to change. Let's just stay with it. <laughs> we hear this heaps, man. We hear this so many times. I can't change from one platform to another because everything else is connected to it, right? So Dude, even though I know that it's costing, I'm happy to keep losing that money. It's a, it's a decision we're making as a business, yeah? Dude, I totally resonate with that. I remember my time when I was leading sales teams and we were early stage startup and we had just decided to move away from Excel and some horrendous internal CRM to getting Salesforce built, spent a ton of money uh, to actually get it up and running. And it was really just didn't work great. The workflows were just awful. But because we had spent so much money, the sunk cost was so high, we didn't want to let it go. And it just created a lot of friction, man. So I totally hear you with that, man. Yeah. So many golden nuggets here today, ladies and gents. We got Luigi Prestonenzi on the show. I hope you're thankful for that because um, I know, dude, you're you're very intentional about the time that you spend with people. So I appreciate you um, deciding to spend it with me, man. And you know I mean that. I don't just say that. So final question I have for you, bro, is when it comes to influential communicators, who do you look up to? And learn from because you and I have spoken several times about different people yeah. who you learn from. But is there one person when it comes to communication and storytelling that you look up to? First and foremost, I look at your content, man. I look at it every single day. So the fact that your listeners are listening to this podcast, it's a podcast they need to listen to, man, because you've been influential on me. You've run masterclasses for my community. And so, mate, I'd say you are definitely one person that people need to listen to. If they ever like to go back, Robert Caldini, doctor, you know, the, the influence book for me, I love that book. I think a great book when it talks about influence and communication. You mentioned somebody earlier, Victor Antonio. You know what? When it comes to storytelling, the guy's good, man. He's able to add in his, given me a bit of coaching over the years. I just can't seem to get the way he does it. Like he, he's so good at it, man. The way that he yeah. loops stories in and takes you on a bit of a thing and then brings it back. I'm like, this guy's good, man. So, so Victor He's Antonio great. is someone in sales that I think you know many w- would benefit from listening to and listening to the way that he tells a story. He's great, man, especially his YouTube videos. They're so educational. They're so long form. He's got so much swag, as I said before, and he's yeah. he's super, super smart. I love his stuff as well, man. Dude, where can people go to learn more about what you're up to? So the best place I'd encourage you to come to salesiqglobal.com and then go to our podcast section my sales iq podcast i'm something i'm passionate rubby's been on there but a whole lot of other guests seth godin to name one of uh guests that we've had so far 
but it's a place where I go talk about sales, talk about things that I love when it comes to selling and mindset, man. So that's that's probably the best place. SalesIQglobal.com. We'll put that in the show notes. So ladies and gents, click the link in the show notes to head straight there, man. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. We need to we need to do round two of your podcast and then, then also of this show at some point soon. Ladies and gents, see you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here. Okay, do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode. Okay, so if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. 